Hello everyone and welcome to Making Remote Work. Today I have the pleasure of welcoming Greg Miller, the co-founder of uh, Fathom. Greg, welcome to Making Remote Work. Thanks, Ilya. It's really good to be here. Greg, for starters, could you introduce yourself uh, a bit more and tell us a bit about Fathom? You bet. Uh, so, look, I'm one of the founders of the business. Uh, we launched Fathom oh, about three and a half years ago now. Uh, it's been a pretty uh, rapid run for us. We started the business really when we saw that if you were trying to solve big problems like the future of work, sounds quite grandiose and uh, overwhelming at times, uh, or the fourth industrial revolution, uh, you, know, you had really nowhere to go other than kind of a, a large, maybe strategic consultancies. Uh, it was quite expensive to try and work out the answers uh, to what that future holds. We also saw that there were you know, a host of reports on the topic, right? You could download a series of reports, all of which kind of had a different view of what that future was, which also kind of compounded, I think, the uh, confusion around it. So we thought, hey, what if we built uh, an AI platform, we provided data, and we could put you know, specific data in the hands of business decision makers and government policymakers so they could actually move off of the kind of awareness about these topics and through to action. And that's really what was our intent was. You know, we wanted to keep the world's population employable, right? Uh, help them skill for the future and uh, as we innovate, as technologies come into being, we, we're, not, we're never going to stop that. We don't want to stop that. We want to stay competitive. But as we do that, people are going to be impacted. Jobs are going to be impacted, skills and tasks. So how do we make sure people are ready for that and give them a pathway to a, a stronger, brighter future? So what kind of data do you use? Where do you collect it from? And how do you look at it? Yeah, so the, the AI uh, platform we built uh, assesses kind of workforce data. Now, uh, there's a lot of data already in Fathom that we've built out over the last three and a half years, you know, consuming entire census data sets, uh, workforces in multiple countries around the world, consuming the entire ILO uh, workforce data set, plus uh, obviously a lot of our customers and, and what we're seeing in their data. But we combine that with our proprietary analytics and software and publicly available data. And then we play back to our clients new information, new insights, new data about these impacts from external forces, whether they be AI, robotics, or COVID-19. Uh, what are the impacts going to look like? Uh, how are they going to manifest themselves over time? And then that's really the where the, the action starts, right? Now we now that we have those insights, the data, we can start turning them into action. Um, I, I mentioned there's a lot of data already in Fathom. You know, the occupation ontology we've built now has over 5,000 job families in it, basically covering every known job on the planet. Okay? We're, we're not quite to the jobs on Mars yet, uh, but every job on the planet we've, we've got in Fathom, we've defined it across skills, knowledge, soft skills, context required to do the job, but also across every task. So every job task, you know, what, what is it I do in my job? How do I spend my time? All of that underpins the platform, which I suppose on, on one hand means we, we need a, a lighter footprint of data from our clients. So it's really, when I say uh, workforce data, that again, that might sound daunting, but it's 
it's a simple set of data I'm looking at the types of jobs in the workforce, where they work, um, what their compensation looks like, what their org structure looks like, their, even things like gender and, and age. Um, not to ever assess that with the AI, so you know, things like gender and age never go into the AI, so there's no chance for bias to be created. Really looking at the output, so I know where technolo technology impact is going to manifest itself, and I can prepare for things like making sure my diversity and inclusion is maintained or is going in the right direction, that age groups in my workforce aren't uh, materially impacted one way or another, or that I'm able to prepare different ethnicities within my workforce uh, for this future state if, if they're at a higher or lower level of risk. And I was kind of impressed. I was listening to Mike talk about it and um, the kind of parallelism you found between accounting and cybersecurity and um, how... Uh, those jobs can transition or if that's one pathway for, uh, for transitioning. Who's using yeah, absolutely. this? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, I think for most HR professionals, uh, <clears throat> some of the insights from Fathom uh, can be challenging, maybe uh, new, uh, you know, not many companies out there. I would suggest at least in the ones I've met in the kind of hundreds I've met over the last couple of years have a career path that says, uh, Hey, accountant, you know, we're going to turn you into a, cybersecurity uh, analyst. Yet, if you get rid of your biases that we all naturally kind of have and build over time, and we think about the people we know in those jobs or the job titles and just put that aside, say, okay, well, what are the skills? You know, what, what does it take to do the job? Um, you know, the, the analysis capabilities, the working with numbers and um, the assessments that an accountant might have. Um, now, let's look at that cyber role, what do they need to do their job? And we start to actually do a complete skills gap analysis between any, any job that exists. Uh, but of course, we're looking for those with a proximity in skills, right? And if you look at soft skills needed for those jobs, some of the skills needed for those jobs, they're very well aligned. Where we see the divergence is mostly around the technology, as you can imagine, uh, side of things. So that's where then we see the focus. So that's where learning and development professionals and come with a curriculum and say, all right, I can fill that gap. In fact, we have partners in our ecosystem now, uh, both here in Australia, but also in the U.S., that are filling that gap from accountancy to cybersecurity in less than six months. You know, less than wow. six months. Think about that when you are out now trying to recruit cyber roles and you can't find them. You're a bank, you're a government. I mean, every organization, every industry is trying to recruit that role. And either they're too expensive or they literally can't find them because we can't produce them fast enough. So kind of the natural, you would think, the natural responsibility, well, let's look internally and see who's got a, a good enough skills match and then give them the curriculum they need. So, uh, yeah, so it's a real pathway and one of many that we kind of uncover and showcase as, as, as clients use the platform. Yeah, for sure. Who are, the, who are your customers? Is it more governments? Is it uh, big companies? Yeah, it's large enterprise. I mean, for us, that's everywhere from a thousand employees to four hundred thousand employees. So uh, it's quite a gamut in our our current customer base. Uh, if I look at the most active kind of industries, I think government is probably number one, and maybe followed by financial insurance services um, number two. And I can tell you, they're very different reasons. Um, why those two are, are kind of at the top. Uh, if we look at government, and 
they are typically the biggest employer in any land. So they have the same uh, issues to, to resolve and, and future to create that a bank does. Um, but they've got a very large workforce and an incredibly diverse workforce. You know, you have education and healthcare and police and finance. You have kind of everything <laughs> that exists. So uh, it is quite a challenge. Now, they've got to solve that for their own people, particularly at a time when most of us are expecting them, governments, to digitize their services. So that requires the governments to have a different level of skill to do that. So, so how do they prepare? What is sometimes a lower skilled overall workforce for that kind of digital future. So that's a, a challenge that all industries I say share, but government also has, you know, the carriage of all of us, right? They, they have to think about this issue across every constituency. You know, how do they write the right policy? How do they make sure the education system is ready to prepare the, every industry and every worker for this future? So a very active space for us with governments all over the world, as they look at their own people, but also their, their, uh, their marketplaces. And then, you know, contrast that with banking, insurance, or financial services, where what we see is they're automating faster than any other industry. Therefore, they're very attuned to the people impacts. As they roll out those automation strategies, automation technologies, and they're transforming their workforce, what's happening to those people? Um, how do they find the right transition pathways. And we talked about accountancy. Well, look, that's a pretty high skilled function, right? We can apply uh, those accountants in many directions. But if we start talking about, I don't know, um, insurance clerks or tellers, you know, not quite as skilled uh, as a base as, a, as an accountant, what's the right pathway for them? It may, it's probably not cybersecurity. Uh, and in fact, in a lot of those cases, it's not in their own industry. Those lower skilled jobs we find are going to have to find the right pathway outside of, in that case, financial services and potentially into another industry. You know, oftentimes what we find in Fathom when we're looking at the financial services industry, it's actually healthcare is a viable pathway. The lower skilled jobs in say uh, home healthcare aids, you know, it's, I can get a certificate to have that job pretty quickly. And it requires some level of, uh, you know, people skills, if you will. So that industry is booming, right? So at a time when, Thousands of people are being made redundant in banking as automation strategies come in. We have to find other industries that need those skills, find the skills maps, and get them the reskilling programs, either through companies or outplacement or from the government. This show is about remote work, and I know you've done some uh, some studies on this. So let's start talking about this. And I don't want to forget about the future of work and how different uh, jobs will move and become something else, uh, either through automation or augmentation. But just to focus a bit the discussion right now, tell me about the MIT study that um, uh, you've conducted uh, and what were the results? You bet, yeah. Uh, and, and interestingly, I find these two issues you just raised, you know, future of work and, and how the roles are transitioning, and now COVID-19 and, and how we look at things like business resilience, I find they're actually coming together. So it's incredibly relevant, I think, to, to bring them together eventually. But yeah, with MIT, it's a really interesting uh, piece of work we did with them. I mean, they've kind of been out on the forefront of this thinking for some time now. Um, we uh, were approached by them to, to do a piece of work looking at something specific to COVID. Now, we, we had just 
released uh, literally new data science in the platform uh, about that time. One of the things we did, I think it was about February, was kind of say to our data science team, hey, stop everything you're doing. And uh, these are some pretty smart folks, right? Uh, And it's kind of the lifeblood for a company like Fathom. So we said, you know, what could you do to support our clients uh, in this kind of reshaping and planning of the future workforce related to the pandemic? And to their credit, they responded. And we've built an entirely new piece of AI, a a new neural network that's now live in Fathom. Uh, And so when MIT approached, we said, hey, perfect timing. Uh, why don't we apply it to the entire U.S. workforce? And so we took the entire U.S. census, we refreshed it to the end of 2019 with some data modeling, and then we implemented that into Fathom and ultimately assessed the entire U.S. workforce across every industry, every worker, every state to give us a view as to what's likely to happen to this workforce. How do we prepare it uh, for that future state? Uh, So, yeah, really really excited by that. And it's, uh, I'd say, you know, just the beginning as we can start to peel back that data now and um, dig a little deeper because we, we, we kind of went fairly high level to, to get some initial thinking out there. Uh, but yeah, excited about what that can look at. It's quite impressive, right? And I, if, uh, if you allow me, uh, when we post this and I can share the study as well, uh, there was were 3.2% or something like this of the American workforce working remote. And during the pandemic, uh, it moved, it shifted to about 80%. And uh, what I really liked is that you were looking into those critical jobs that either required or not uh, human interaction and that, was o- that were also prone to augmentation and automation. Can you give a bit more details on the findings and maybe how to interpret them from... Um, economical perspective or technological perspective or even individual uh, perspective? You bet. Yeah, I think maybe first to just say, you know, well, what is that neural net doing? You know, so how, how are we assessing the workforce in this, this lens? Uh, so the first thing that the, the neural net does is it looks at every job uh, for a degree of task promotability within that job. So you know, every job, as I was talking about before, we've, we've defined uh, across the workforce, and we have a view and a weighting of what those tasks are, how important those tasks are to a job. So now we can say, all right, what's the degree of remotability of those tasks? Um, and also look at the degree of human interactivity. So it allows us to start plotting the impact kind of rating for, for any job and every job and all industries as well, as we're looking at, all right, is that job easy to... Uh, do the tasks in a remote fashion? Do they interact with other humans at a high degree or low degree? And then provide kind of a risk rating. And that's, of course, leading to different interventions, if you will. Um, so that was kind of step one. So then we started looking at, all right, once we know the plotting, uh, we can start seeing and overlaying things like technology impacts and augmentation and automation as we start looking at those interventions into the future. But if you, if you take the category of, say, high risk or high impact, I should say, jobs um, within that assessment, you know, you're going to find what a lot of healthcare, you know, nurses, for example, policing, education, um, jobs that need to be out there. They're interacting with the public and other humans at a high degree. Very difficult to do that job remote. Okay, so that group in isolation, we start looking at, all right, what are the interventions there? Is it, you know, 
PPE gear? Uh, is it uh, in working in social distancing technologies that maybe augment them to de-risk them? Okay? We even did things like looking at, all right, well, what if we overlay then an age grouping on that group? Now suddenly we look at older age workers in a high impact rating. That's a group, you know, for safety reasons, we really need to think about, hey, where could we reskill them into other parts of the workforce to de-risk them and move younger workers into those higher risk jobs, at least for the short term, because you know, we, we can't have that kind of risk to life and limb uh, in that, that time. So, you know, some really interesting things. Now, we can look at the other end of the spectrum and say, well, what about jobs that easy to remote? Right? I mean, you, you mentioned the, the numbers, uh, how many kind of organizations were remoting their workforces. A lot of those workforces was in a, a, a jerk reaction. Quick, everyone, you're going home. Oh, no, I forgot. Uh, 20% of my workforce doesn't have laptops. Now what do I do? <laughs> yeah, so just because I sent everyone home does not by any means mean we're productive. We're able to contribute. We're able to uh, meet the challenges of, of our clients. So assessing that um, ask remotability is only one factor. I think when we look at that group of jobs that are in the low impact, that's becoming a discussion now and a use case to say, all right, how are we reshaping the workplace, not just the workforce itself? Because if 70% of my workforce has a, a high degree of task remotability, low degree of human interactivity, um, do they ever need to go back to the, the way it was or ever go back to the office I have in downtown? Look, probably not. I think what we're seeing of, the, of those numbers is we're kind of dividing up that group. There's a subset within that group that are, can be just as productive at home. They're going to stay home probably the rest of their jobs in that organization or lives in that careers in that organization. Um, those that are, yes, we can remote the task, but we've left 20 or 30% of that job back at the office. You know, that, that means they're not being productive. So we either reshape the tasks within the job and move that job, or um, we think what we're seeing now, a lot of our clients is, is a kind of a hybrid in terms of workplace. So two, three days a week, yep, they're going to go into the office. Guess what? Office looks nothing like it did before. It's a collaborative space. You're going to meet with your teams. Uh, it's not a desk. You will never have a desk. Right? So I think that's what we're seeing now with that, that other spectrum. And then, of course, we've got uh, other interventions in between. Some can be fixed with things like Zoom, uh, but not everything. You know, I, I, I might be able to teach my class over Zoom, but can I uh, grade the class? Can they take the test? You know, those kind of things. There might be a heightened degree of uh, technology needed in those situations. Did you get any new insights into the evolution or the future of work while you did the study on COVID? It was a pretty yeah, a uh, unique situation. And I was wondering if there were any takeaways that you could use for the usual Fathom research, not the COVID or pandemic related uh, research. You bet. I mean, I have to say there's been a bit of self uh, introspection as well, right? Uh, we, we looked at how we as a company responded and what we were going to do differently. I think it opened our eyes to how we can apply data science to other potential factors and forces that are external to a corporation or a, a market 
impacting work and so how we can prepare that workforce. So whilst we started looking at things like AI and then looked at robotics and now at COVID, there will be more of those to come. So I think it's opened our eyes to that, uh, that ability and need. But specific to the organizations we work with, the markets we're working in, we've definitely seen an advancement, you know, an advancement of some of it reskilling and redeployment activities. Now, maybe those were in the HR plan or the strategic plan already, but they were kind of, you know, not the top priority. So they kind of got funded, kind of got a, a little attention. Um, now those are popping to the top. What, what's driving that? I mean, if I can't recruit, you know, if I'm having difficulty going out in the market recruiting, I have to look internally. I have to look at my existing assets and how I can reskill and, and repurpose and re-enable the organization. Uh, but we're also seeing, I touched on this a bit, we're also seeing the automation strategy change. So whilst this, you know, fourth industrial revolution, as it's referred to, what we like to think of as more of the third renaissance, right? The, when have we had such an opportunity with technology to free people up uh, to, to enjoy work and, and the, the work Life. experience, right? Uh, never before, but potentially to this degree and, and with such speed. So what we're seeing is a reshaping. Now, not just looking at, hey, what can I op- automate to cut costs? But now looking at, all right, my automation strategy, maybe we should be driven by a human element. Um, that could be jobs that, I, again, I have at, at risk in a pandemic and I want to de-risk. Well, what technologies can help me do that? And again, not necessarily just Zoom or, or, or other video technologies, but you know, how can I replace some of the tasks in a job and enable them to do other tasks, maybe more enjoyable tasks, uh, maybe less risky tasks. So I think that that automation strategy itself has been reshaped by the pandemic. Uh, And some of that's carrying then funding, but also uh, targeting, you know, which jobs do we, or functions do we focus on first? That may be very different than where we were three, six months ago. Oh, for sure. And this goes into the positive way of thinking, right? It's not only cost, but it's also about people and reskilling them making sure they can transition inside a company and have a future with the, with the company. So it's kind of positive. What do you think will be, because you work in AI and you were just talking about how you have found new ways of using your platform. What do you think will be the AI prevalence post COVID, post the, the pandemic? How else can it be used? Well, that, that's a expansive question there. Uh, uh, I might just kind of keep that in the bounds of, of fathom, but uh, look, I, I think, as I said, an acceleration of the implementation of these technologies without doubt. So, you know, we, we talk about it as this slingshot to 2023. Uh, we suddenly are leapfrogging forward. Uh, and some of that is the commitment of funding to do it that may have been held back. Some of that was a concern about automation's impact on people. Now it's actually, the impact on people driving the automation, if that makes sense, because you know, COVID-19 has put us in a whole new um, paradigm. And as we see jobs at different levels of risk based on the, the work they're doing, how can technology actually um, aid that and produce a less risky outcome for us? So, so yes, I absolutely seeing it firsthand right now, <laughs> you know, this rethinking of the strategy, but also the 
approval and investment in funding in this regard. So that acceleration of all types of, of technologies, emerging technologies, particularly AI and robotics, uh, we are seeing and we will continue to see in our view uh, to accelerate. Um, our own you know, applications of AI, uh, I mean, we, we, were, we already had a handful of uh, digital employees Right, uh, we we were <clears throat> one of those uh, companies that had the the ability to say, "Hey, to everyone in the workforce, what's that thing you hate doing? Right, what just drives you mad?" Uh, and uh, you know, if you could get rid of you, could, and everyone gave us their list, and we actually started building bots to take away those tasks. We gave them names, and they're you know, they've become employees of of Fathom. So, uh, what a great outcome for you know, productivity, but also for the enjoyment of work. Again, I, I think we talk about reshaping the workforce and that's about skills and preparing for the future. Uh, we talk about reshaping the workplace you know, and, and how, where we work, how we, we get there. But I think there's a interesting thing we're now exploring, which is how you reshape the human experience of work. Uh, and, and again, that's not all just danger, but some of that is removing monotony. You know, um, my co-founder Michael's uh, famous for saying that uh, robots or technology are, are uh, terrible at the things uh, humans find natural, right? So, you know, empathy, humor, creativity, you know, we need to flourish in that space, uh, whether you call those future capabilities or um, you know, truly human capabilities, that's, I think, where we have an opportunity to kind of let that really grow and promote. And that's, that's what, those are, what are the future capabilities, right? That, that creates that future for us. And um, how about for the, those that will be displaced? Will be, there be jobs uh, in which people cannot reskill or upskill? And I'm thinking of uh, cashiers. No one seems to have found a good job for cashiers and they definitely stand the chance of uh, automation and not uh, augmentation. And there might be other jobs as well, like drivers also. Do you think that, that there will be such a situation in which some people will not be able to reskill? I think it's not a, an ultimatum. There's no uh, job I think that will never be reskilled. I think it's just a longer road. Mm -hmm. uh, a longer reskilling journey and probably has to start earlier. And that's part of the reason we're, we're trying to provide the data to, to support those decisions, right? Um, now, that's probably excluding the, the human uh, uh, condition, I suppose, in some regard, because if, if I don't have a growth mindset and I don't want to transform myself and I don't take action, well, then yes, I, I will be stuck. But if I have some proclivity to try and advance myself and stay employed, then yes, there is a path for everyone. Um, and those cashiers, you know, it's interesting because that job, yeah, comes out of the MIT work we did, right? So that's sitting in that high impact category. Uh, you know, and it's a, an essential worker as well, right? doesn't matter level of pandemic, guess what stayed open, right? We needed to go get, you know, groceries. You know, so cashiers and the safety of cashiers became paramount. Uh, so you've got a high risk in pandemic. You have a high potential automation. We've seen, we've all gone to uh, uh, the outlets that have chosen to bring in cashierless environments and 
Uh, I think that's, we're just seeing the first wave of that, but that will accelerate now on the back of COVID, I, I suspect. Uh, so yeah, so now we need to look at those lower skill jobs and say, right, what, what is the logical pathway or the right pathway uh, if we let the data drive us? And I can tell you it's unlikely to be in their existing industries. Part of that is because of the makeup of those industries. Part of that is because of the volume of people in these low skilled jobs. There are a lot of retail sales clerks. There are a lot of cashiers. There are a lot of drivers, right? So big numbers. We can never absorb them in their existing industries. We're going to have to transition them to other industries and absorb them across the entire market. Now, I also want to point out, I think there's a, often a missed uh, element of the future of work. And, you know, we, we stopped talking about it in that light. I know most people, it resonates, they get it, so I'll still use the words, but we think of this as the evolution of work. Right? It is not future and too daunting for me to get started. It is yesterday. Uh, and it's continuing, but it's evolution. It's little steps we can take right now, not too big. And it's also not the next CEO's problem to fix, not the next minister or senator's problem to fix, right? This is now no. it's an evolution. So I think if you, if you bring that context, then you have to not just look at automation. And you mentioned augmentation, jobs that are you know, impacted but stay in the workforce and need to be upskilled but you must also look at what we refer to as addition. Okay? We all know there's new industries forming on the back of these technologies, but there are also new jobs in every organization needed related to the implementation, running, and maintenance of these technologies. And they're not all deep technical roles as well. There's a variety of types of work, but that addition is critical because those become target jobs. Right? That's a destination for those jobs at risk. I mean, these cashiers and drivers that we're talking about, those new jobs that are being added to the workforce, that's a destination we want to get them to. Now, maybe we can't get them there in six months, but if we look at this as a two or three year horizon, absolutely, absolutely. You, we mentioned cybersecurity, right, uh, as a, a new industry that's booming. Are there other industries that you can mention which are growing right now and where people can maybe shift their direction towards? Well, w- when we think of Jobs. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of uh, technology-related jobs on the back of the impact of emerging tech. Uh, so that's probably no surprise. Uh, and things like cyber, um, things like data science uh, are usually at the top of everyone's list. Um, even those who don't have them today have them on their list and, and are thinking they need them. And they're right, by the way. Uh, <clears throat> but they're, they're not quite sure how to, to get them. So Again, it comes back to looking both internally, but also externally, and maybe looking at other industries as to where we, we find them. Um, but I think you know, the technology, again, drives a host of different types of work that's needed. You know, if we look at a, a bank that's um, accelerating into this future, yes, they might be replacing people, but they're also needing to add cyber and data analysts and data science, but also things like change analysts, right? What is the change, the transformation I'm going through as a company? There are, that change analyst role is less technical, much needed, uh, and is a, a potential viable pathway for some of those folks finding themselves displaced. So we don't always have to think, you know, we've all been to the conference and had the futurist on stage talking about the drone hive operator, right? Or, or whatever other thing they, they dream up. 
we we're more rooted in the in reality the reality you know, <laughs> actual jobs we, we you know we don't put a job in fathom unless we know one of them exists somewhere okay now for many of our clients they have no idea what that job is but we know it exists someday they're going to probably need one so if we're rooted in that reality this is not a futuristic transformation you know as you say it's cashiers now um, it's accountants now so where do they go in the next 12 24 months well those are jobs that exist today either in their workforce or in another industry it's just about providing the data to the people making these decisions so they actually can kind of open their eyes remove the blinders uh, and see outside of their kind of bias and this is one of the reasons why I was asking you because um, I, and I like the transition of the word as well from the future to evolution it does reflect better on what's happening and it's indeed less fearsome and that's one of the reasons why I also like uh, Fathom because whenever I read any any of your articles or any of your research there is a clear pathway it's um, not just fear, hey, we're being automated or augmented and we will be without jobs. Learn how to, um, I don't know, get a hobby and live a life without uh, meaning and without uh, work. It's like, no, actually, we can move this to this. These are the skills that are needed. All we need to learn is this. It seems like a simple pathway. <laughs> it, it, it seems that way, right? It sounds, yeah. sounds somewhat uh, logical. It's actionable. <laughs> makes sense. Uh, but, you know, I think the reality is, a lot of the, the times this falls on an HR team yeah. that has a set of processes and infrastructure that have, the way we've been doing things for decades. And so I think you know, when we speak about this topic, we often speak about HR in particular being at the center of this and having to unlearn uh, maybe decades of practice and process, which is a very difficult thing to do, let's face it. Uh, but I have to unlearn the way I budget my learning and development spend, right? And how I spend it. So let's stay with our, our happy accountant. Uh, you know, traditionally, yeah, I'm going to give you training to make you better at your job, maybe get you ready for it to be a controller or a CFO. I don't know, as you move up the path. And I think, you know, that path is gone, but most organizations would still have that kind of trajectory. So how do I unlearn that? Uh, how do I unlearn the L&D side of that or even the recruiting side of that? Because I'm probably still recruiting accountants with the same job profile I've had for the last five years, maybe more, at a time when my CIO is rolling out technologies that are going to impact them. Uh, maybe we should rethink even how what we're recruiting for so they're ready for the transition when it happens. Uh, but that, yeah, like I said, it's not easy to do. I recognize that. And I think that's why we try and take this in bite-sized chunks, right? Get our thinking about this is an evolution over time. Let's start somewhere. Where do we start? Well, let's start by having the data support the decision. Uh, whether you're using Fathom's data or someone else's, that's fine. But let's get that as our kind of one of our foundations, if you will, so we can start to make the right decisions and, and help our workforce transition. Greg, how it's very hard to find data on uh, Fathom. I I I know about you, and uh, I'm I'm having hard time sometimes to find uh, the research, and I know what keywords to use and all of that. How can we make this more available to HRs so you can get the right support in the lobbying that you're doing to talk about the evolution of work and how can this be done step by step? 
Ilya, I'm doing my best. I, mean, <laughs> I know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you sound like my board. No. Uh, yeah. Look, we are. I really like what you're doing. I really think <laughs> it's incredibly important, and it finally sheds light on things that we've been asking and questioning for a long time, and no one has been doing anything, or doing very, very little with very little effect. And now that we have the data, I would just love to bring it out there. <laughs> yeah, well, look, obviously, you know, even moments like this, I mean, go a long way to help us in that, that mission of ours. Um, but, you know, here's how we're approaching. I mean, we're, we're a, a startup from, from Sydney, Australia, but we're kind of supported by, um, believed in uh, by the likes of the World Economic Forum, uh, you know, we're part of their uh, Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Um, the likes of MIT that you referenced, uh, Gartner. Uh, so, so we've had some really powerful folks come out and say, hey, if you're doing anything in this space, you need to be looking at that. So that's, that's been, you know, absolutely monumental for, for a company like us. Um, now, in addition, you know, our growth plans are, are pretty significant, as you might imagine. Um, you know, we don't, in what, about two years, we've, we've kind of hit our hundredth client. So it's been a rapid run for us, but it's early days. Uh, but we're actively uh, growing in, you know, we've got our first team in Europe based out of London. We've got our first team in the U.S. based out of San Francisco. So we're growing uh, into other markets. But we're also building a significant uh, ecosystem of partners. So we believe that, you know, the data, the insights that Fathom's technology platform provides is part of the answer, but uh, oftentimes uh, organizations also need um, some support in taking that data, turning it into action. You know, these are big transformation programs. We're talking about reskilling efforts. So our ecosystem of partners is is quite significant, uh, and it spans you know, strategic consultancies, um, human resources consultancies, technology consultancies, big and small. Uh, out taking the Fathom message, but also the, the platform to their clients. So, so that's been our, our, our approach and uh, we'll con continue doing more of that and look forward to you know, con continuing the conversation because part of this is changing the, the dialogue, as you suggest. Yeah, and uh, I know you've just uh, you've just started, but definitely, at least for uh, my uh, like, I would like to see you more out there. Uh, again, it's really interesting what, what you're doing. Just to finish up on the remote uh, subject that we started with. How do you see from where you stand the future of remote and the future of research in remote, especially using AI? Look, I, I think we'll continue to see the acceleration. I mean, I think the world, given that everyone is facing this and impacted at some level by this, uh, this pandemic, that that's gonna change the way we behave and the way we, we look at things like our people um, look at things like our automation strategies, et cetera. So I don't think that's going to go away. Uh, and I think the reality of preparing ourselves for the next time this happens, you know, we have to consider that. Right? And so uh, simply going back to the same way we worked and places we worked and the shape of jobs isn't going to fly in that kind of a future. So the next time this were to happen, if we had a workforce that was prepared for this technologically, uh, but also with with skilling programs, then you know this doesn't become the shutdown that it has become, and you know 
we'll, we'll continue to provide all the data we can to support that. I mean, Fathom's vision of keeping the world's workers employable doesn't stop there. I mean, you know, we, we apply Fathom in the education space as well so that we make sure we're building the right curriculum. Uh, we apply Fathom uh, even in the kind of investor space, you know, how, on how we make investment decisions based on how companies are treating uh, automation. You know, are you automating responsibly? Uh, you know, we think that should be something companies are judged on. We can't simply pass the buck, as it were, onto those who have been automated to try and figure this out and absorb it. Corporates, governments, and individuals all have a role to play into preparing for that, that future. Greg, thank you so much for, for uh, doing this uh, at this late hour and uh, do enjoy your dinner. No, it's great to, great to meet you and interact and I appreciate the time. I appreciate it as well very much. Thanks a lot. Right, you bet. Take care.